Oh, this is our new series we're starting right now. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 starting today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring one right from the back because we want everybody to have a Bible. So just keep your hand up till they give one to you. If you need it, you can keep it. We want people reading God's Word. And over the next few months, we're going to be in Matthew 10 through 13. And so turn with me to please chapter Matthew chapter 9. We're in this series called All In. And um, probably one of the funnest times in the mountain uh, for me personally, uh, a few years ago, was leading a group, and we were, it was August, and uh, we were up about 9,500 feet in the Sierras right uh, under a peak, and it came down to this little lake, and because of the altitude and so much snow that winter before that, there was still eight feet of pack, packed snow at the lake, and somebody in our group had this crazy idea, let's make a slide down into the lake. You come whooshing down the ice like this and slide off, and you, know, you hang in the air, and you're eight feet above the water, and then splash into the lake. So we, we made this slide, and then it was a lot of fun seeing people climb up there, you know, in their bare feet and bikinis. And, well, I wasn't in a bikini. I was in cutoffs. But, uh, you know, to, to slide down this thing, and, and then you hang in the air. Now, it, that's that all-in moment, isn't it? You're not in the water yet, but there's, there's, it's going to happen. And it you know, and then the freezing water, and then you swim as fast as you can to the edge, hope your heart doesn't stop, uh, and then get out and wonder, would I be willing to do that again, knowing what I know now, right? And yes, the answer is yes, of course you would. And so uh, we're going to be uh, looking at what Jesus has to say today to his closest followers, his disciples. Look at Matthew 9, starting verse 35. This is where we left off last June as we are working our way through Matthew. But it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, at this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus has invited five people to be his followers and disciples. And uh, they have been walking with Jesus and listening to him tell uh, parables and, and teaching and watching him uh, do the miracles and taking it all in. But now Jesus is about to take it up a notch to get practical. And um, so he's just sent out this cry that says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. And he gathers his 12 disciples around him right now and he sends them out. See, it's not enough just to, to gather together and to sing the songs and to hear the sermons and to love the choir and to enjoy the verses and to pray the prayers. There's a harvest for Jesus Christ that is ripe and it's out in the field and it needs to be harvested. It's ready for harvest. And so the disciples are called all in. Time is of an essence. The door of opportunity is open now, but it will not last forever. And Jesus is calling his disciples to do more than just learn and watch. Now it's time to do it, to, to reach out and to share the good news of God. Get right with God. The kingdom of heaven is near. And so the central truth we're looking at today is that Jesus empowers his followers, like us, to reach others with the gospel. Well, who does Jesus choose? Look at Matthew chapter 10. He called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the 12 apostles are these. I think he's using interchangeably here, by the way, disciple or apostle. Disciples I think of as students, learners, and apostles are the sent ones, the ones taking a message. But Matthew's writing this after the church has already been well established and the disciples have graduated to be apostles, and so he uses the term for both of them. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, 
Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now, there are 12. Who here thinks they could name six of them? Good, that's half. In fact, if, if, you, if you need a memory device, two are named Simon, two are named Judas, and two are named James. So Judas, James, and Simon, you got half the group covered. All right? Who here thinks they could name four? Anybody think they could name them all? All right, well, let's look at these guys for a minute because these disciples, they're not superstars. In fact, we know when I go shopping, if Cindy gives me any more than three things to find at the store, I'll say, well, I'll call you when I get there, right? (laughs) So we're probably not going to remember all 12, but the first four are two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew, James and John. All of them were from Bethsaida, this little fishing village on the edge of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Jesus called them. They're probably the most famous of the disciples. And um, all of them uh, walked with Jesus and served him. And we know some from the Bible, but then some from tradition, which is other writings or things that people said about them through the years. So the tradition for Peter is he became an evangelist and a missionary to the Jews. Then we know from the book of Acts, he was surprised when God used him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And then tradition says he was crucified upside down in Rome because he didn't think he was worthy of being crucified the same way Jesus was. Andrew, his brother, was first a disciple of John the Baptist. In other words, he had a heart that was yearning to say, I want to be right with God. I want to know spiritual truth. And so he actually was the one who first found Jesus, went and found his brother Simon, and brought him to Jesus. Andrew is, uh, I think of as quieter, more... uh, contemplative than Peter was. Peter always seemed to be uh, talking and up front. But, um, you know, Andrew recruited him to Jesus. So if he was an Amway dealer, he would be like a triple ruby, double diamond direct, or, you know, something way up there at the top of the chart for recruiting his brother Peter. James and John are the sons of Zebedee. Uh, James uh, preached in Jerusalem, but then he was one of the first martyrs of the church. Here he, he was beheaded by Herod in uh, AD 44. And then John, his brother, was the only disciple who's at the foot of the cross. He's the one who's given credit for writing the book of John. Remember, he said, never used his own name, but he said, the disciple Jesus loved. I was Jesus' favorite, is what he's trying to tell you. And um, he was uh, the one that Jesus gave his mother into his care uh, from the cross. And then John labored in Asia Minor, especially in Ephesus. He cared for Mary. He ended up being banished to Patmos and uh, was, uh, had the vision of Christ there and wrote the book of Revelation. And then he's the only one, it's kind of ironic with the life that he lived, but he's the only one of the disciples who died of old age, of natural causes. All the rest were martyrs. So that's kind of your A-team, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. The next are kind of like four men. You'll recognize some of their names, but they're kind of like the B-team. You have uh, Philip, Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel, and uh, Thomas and Matthew. So Philip also came from Bethsaida, where uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John came from. And he met Jesus. He went and found his friend Nathaniel. He said, we found the Messiah. Nathaniel is kind of more of a skeptic. He says, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But when he met Jesus, he becomes a a disciple. Philip was uh, martyred at Hierapolis. Nathaniel uh, was flayed to death in Armenia. 
And uh, Jerome says he wrote a gospel, which Jerome was an early scholar that moved to Bethlehem and translated the Bible from uh, Hebrew and Greek into the, the Latin. He wrote the Latin Vulgate, which was the church of the Bible for about a thousand years. Uh, then Thomas, of course, was the doubter. Uh, you know, I don't believe it unless I see it. And uh, he labored in Persia and in India. And then he was martyred near Madras. Matthew, the tax collector, also called Levi, the son of Alphaeus. And uh, he became a follower when Jesus walked by his tax collection booth and said, you follow me. And so he threw a party for his friends, all his tax collecting buddies, so they could get to meet Jesus. He ended up being martyred in Ethiopia. So those four are, are kind of well-known. The last four are like the bench. They hardly seem like they get in the game. You probably don't even remember them at all except for the last one who betrayed Jesus. You have James, the son of Alphaeus. So you have Levi, the son of Alphaeus, and James, the son of Alphaeus. And, um, well, that's, I mean, did anybody know anybody named Alphaeus? It's not a common name now or then. And so if they were brothers, and Alphaeus also happens to be the name in Greek is Clopas or Cleopas from Luke 24, walking on the Emmaus Road. Do you remember? There were two people. I think it was a husband and wife, but anyway, it was probably their dad. So he, the one on the Emmaus Road was probably the, the, the father of at least one of the disciples. Well, James, the son of Alphaeus, preached in Palestine and Egypt, and he was crucified in Egypt. Then there's Jude or Thaddeus, who preached in Assyria, and he died a martyr in Persia. And then Simon the Zealot, all we know from tradition is he was crucified, and then Judas Iscariot. He was the only one from uh, Judea. All the rest were from Galilee. So it's like all of them are from North Dakota except him. He's from South Dakota, you know? And so, so it's similar, but, you know, there, there's the difference there. And um, <clears throat> he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and then he regretted it and took his own life. So... What I'm trying to point out about these guys is most of them were so unspectacular, right? It wasn't what they did. It was what God did through them. I mean, you think about this. Jesus, since he's God, came into this world to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus, because he's God, has a plan to reach the entire world with the love and forgiveness of, of, of God one person at a time by somebody telling somebody who tells somebody who tells somebody who tells somebody. And we are part of that. Somebody told you about Jesus. And then Jesus, since he's God, has the world lined up on the fence. He can pick anybody he wants to be on his team. And he picks these guys. He didn't pick superstars. He picked people like you and people like me, you know, regular folks. In fact, Paul kind of crashed into the line of disciples. He was kind of a late bloomer and was brought in by Jesus after Jesus' death, resurrection, and leaving the earth. But here's what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, starting verse 26. He said, Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in this world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God chose you. He chose you. You know why? Just because he did, because he loves you. It's not anything particular about you. He just chose you. And there's, so there's, it gives none of us room to say, well, you know, I'm not really smart enough 
to do these things Jesus says or good enough or wise enough or gifted enough. I'll just let the pros do it. No. Nobody's really left to say, I'm no good at this ministry stuff or if talking to other people about Jesus. I can't really serve. I can't speak up for Christ. People might laugh at me. So I'll just practice the spiritual gift of questioning and complaining. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Jesus is calling you and the other disciples in his day. He called them. Look what he expects. Verse 5. Jesus, the 12, Jesus sent out with this instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this was for starters. And so he says, don't, don't just focus on your own people. Go to your own home. Go to your own village. Go to your own family. Go to your own classmates. Go to people just like you. Start at home. Start with your own. Now, of course, we know the whole story. So we know that the gospel did spill out beyond that and got to the Samaritans and got to the Gentiles. And God has a a passion that everybody in the world would hear the good news, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he's entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm not making that up. It's 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was working through Christ and uses us in the process. So Jesus here, verse 7 says, go, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's like saying, God's near, get ready. Get right with God now, because you don't know how long you have. Then look at verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town or that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What does Jesus expect from his followers? Trust and our obedience. Hard work. Diligence. A focus. He expects us to give a proclamation, to tell people the story of Jesus, to to do miracles, I mean, look what he said in verse 8. I don't know if that uh, blew you away like it does me, but he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And you'll say, oh my goodness, that's above my pay grade. Let me tell you why I am the grand exclusion. Everybody else can do that stuff. I can't do it. No, Jesus says, I'm sending you. So he says, please stand up now and pair off two by two. And I want you to go and, uh, in fact, uh, you know, leave your sweaters and your coats here, your purses. Uh, men, leave your wallets. Everybody, leave your phone. And go out and use the restroom, but don't load up on any snacks or extra cash or extra water or extra anything. This is a trust exercise. All your stuff will be here when you get back. This is an unscripted adventure. Just follow me. Now go tell the good news. And he sends them out that way. Are you ready to sign up? I mean, last week, Pastor Eric suggested that we put together a paragraph to explain who we believe in and why we believe. Did you do it? I won't put you on the spot and make anybody raise their hands, but I'm guessing most of us thought that's a great idea for somebody else. But if you were on an elevator and you had 10 floors and a stranger asked you about Jesus, would you be able to get it explained before the elevator opened 10 floors later? 
That's the idea is that you'd be able to explain why you follow Jesus, why you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, who are you following and why are you following? We had a similar experience last year. Remember, we took a team of uh, people to Nepal and India because we've adopted two unreached people groups there about four years ago. And we gathered money and we had prayers and we sent two evangelists to each of those two people groups. And there are about 500 believers now between those groups. And part of their spiritual disciplines, when they become a believer, they have to write their testimony. So Paul Eshelman, leading our team, said to our group, each of you need to write your testimony on one page. And so we got together and he said, okay, who wants to share their testimony? So one woman said, well, I will share. And she started reading hers and she hadn't read very much of it before he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. You have made it way too complicated. There's three things you need, and it needs to be simple, short sentences. What was life like before Jesus came into your life? How did Jesus come into your life, and what difference does it make? And make it simple. See, my life before Jesus, I was saved from my wretchedness and sin at age four. I lived in a pastor's house. We went to church every time the doors were open. It's not like there was a lot of opportunity to do big, heinous sins. But at some point, not when dad was preaching, but when mom was talking around the table at home, realized, I have done things wrong. I need Jesus' forgiveness in my life if I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, welcome into my heaven. And I asked him to come into my heart and be my savior. And since then, I have worked on studying his word and growing in him and using my life to tell the story. Now there, that's, that's what I would write on my page. So I'm giving you that assignment this week to write your own testimony, maybe even take it to your growth group and to share it, to say, let, let me share this with you because I'm going to need to share this with strangers. I'd rather start with friends and have them say, huh, what about this or what about that? Where you're able to say, here's how Jesus came into my life. What does Jesus expect from his followers? Trust and obedience, care for the lost, a clear witness, and miracles. What does he expect for his followers? Look what he says. Verse 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus says, I am sending you. I have empowered you. And we are powered by Jesus to go out into this world. And he says, we need to be ready to be like a little lamb among a pack of wolves. What are the odds that the lamb survives that? What do you think? Who would bet on the lambs? (laughs) Of course not. Jesus says, I'm sending you out. And first he says, go depend on the hospitality of strangers. Go, and somebody's going to invite you to their house to stay tonight. They'll feed you dinner. You don't have any money in your pockets. You left it here. And then he says, then you need to expect hostility when you start to share the message. Why? Because the message of Jesus is foolishness to this world. They find it offensive that Jesus would say, I am God and I can forgive your sin and without your sin being forgiven, you will not live in heaven. You need a savior and his name is Jesus. It's a message of love, but it's often not well received. So he says, verse 17, beware of men. They'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, which is where they held court. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Several hundred years ago, a guy named Miguel de Cervantes, he's a Spaniard, believe it or not, and he wrote a significant, he spent a significant portion of his life in prison for his religious convictions. And he wrote a book about Don Quixote. Now, you might remember him from the musical Man of La Mancha. 
But this book has been translated into more languages than any other book in the history of the world except one. You want to guess which one? The Bible. All right, and so this story has had quite an impact. And Don Quixote, the character in the story, heads out into the world to right all wrongs. And he preached a message of love and respect, and yet he was thought of, for doing that, he was thought of as a madman. So that he finds himself in prison, and he's explaining to his captive audience, you don't understand. Winning and losing doesn't matter, but only if you follow the quest. See, he had set out with his squire named Sancho to right all wrongs, to dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear the unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go. You know the song, right? This is my quest to follow the star, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right without question or pause, to be willing to march into hell for heavenly cause, to follow the quest. That's exactly what Jesus is calling the disciples to do. It sounds crazy, but he's calling them and us to go all in. And in their travels, Don Quixote and Sancho, which Jesus, remember, sent the disciples out two by two, so this wasn't original to these guys, but he, they go out together, and they met this abused woman of the night named Aldonza. But Don Quixote instead sees her with different eyes than the rest of the world, and he calls her my lady. And he treats her with dignity and respect, and he renames her Dulcinea, which I don't think of that as an upgrade in names, but somebody explained to me after the first service that Dulcinea means my sweetheart or something like that. <laughs> okay, And so it's so far from her reality of how she's been uh, abused in her life that she simply cannot accept it for a time, and she's cynical. She's got lots of questions and distrust. So Aldonza or Dulcinea goes to the squire and says, how does a squire squire? And Sancho says, well, I ride behind him and he fights. And then I pick him up off the ground. <laughs> okay. I mean, he loses every time, you get it? I ride behind him and he fights. Then I pick him up off the ground, patch him up, and we move on to the next fight to do it again. Now, that's what Jesus is calling us to do. And uh, Aldonza, when she hears this, she goes, you are going to take such a beating. And she's right. And Jesus is telling his disciples, expect the same thing. He's not promising a rose garden. This is what Eric was trying to remember, okay? He wants to know that following Jesus can cost you everything. So count the cost before you sign on. I mean, look at verse 19. Jesus said, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you're going to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will be delivered over, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And if they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, the devil, which they did to Jesus, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus is saying there are really two paths through life. There are people who say, 
I'm going to do it my way. They live in the world. They live of the world. They are like the world. They have chosen to live life without God. Thank you very much. I'll do it myself. And when they die, they have already chosen then to live in eternity without God. That's called hell. Or there are people who are making their own way, but at some point they realize, I am not getting this done right. I am not right with God, and if I don't repent, I will be condemned. And they repent, and they turn from their sin, and they ask God to forgive them. They ask Jesus to be their Savior and their Lord, and they put Jesus in charge in their life. And then Jesus is giving us right here his challenge to his disciples to go and be his witnesses in the world. And they put Jesus in charge, and it won't be easy or pretty. It will cost everything, but in the end, God will say, welcome home. You're my child. Well done. Come live with me forever. So what does Jesus expect for his followers in the here and now? Well, persecution and ridicule and hardship and unfair treatment and perhaps time in prison or in court and you'll be hated. You'll be maligned and even on the run and you won't know necessarily why. But you keep your eyes on Jesus. A few years ago, there was a day-long rally in Africa to celebrate the 100th anniversary. A particular group of missionaries went to the Congo and they'd been there, their group had been there for 100 years. And so they had had some troubles getting started, but they had done a significant work and thousands of people had come to Christ and they had a day of speeches and music and food and sharing. And just at the end of the day, an old, old man stood up and insisted, I have something I gotta say. He stood up and he said, I'm 103 years old. And I can barely remember when those missionaries got here 100 years ago. But I'm going to die soon, and i got to tell you something to confess on behalf of my people. When those missionaries arrived 100 years ago, our people were dubious. They thought it was strange, and they wondered, what are these missionaries really trying to tell us, and is it the truth? And the tribal leaders decided to test the missionaries to see if they really believed in this Jesus that they preached. And they came up with a test. You know what it was? Poison some of the missionaries or their children. And over the next decade, they poisoned about 12 of the missionaries or their children. Just uh, one would die here or there of, of, of undetermined causes for no particular reason. But then they would watch the missionaries, how they dealt with death and loss and grief. And over a period of months and years, one by one, a missionary here or a child there would die for no apparent reason. It seemed suspicious. Nobody guessed that it was going on intentionally, but it was all a test. And the old man said, it was as we watched how they died that we decided we wanted to live as Christians. And those who died painful, strange deaths never knew why they were dying or what impact their life was having on the people around them. But even through those hardships, those missionaries decided they were not going to leave the work that God had called them to do in Africa and go back to where it was more comfortable at home. They stayed and they trusted Jesus, and many people died unfairly. But in the process, the good news of Jesus reached thousands of souls in the Congo. Now, this is a part one, really, because if you see the rest of Matthew 10, it goes on for a while, and so I split it in half, so we'll have part two next week. So come back next week, because it gets better, okay? And so in conclusion, why follow Jesus? Why go all in? Well, first off, because Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, and he commanded us to. And God is still very actively working in this world today, 
And he's calling on us. Jesus has empowered us as his followers to reach other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And it could cost you something. In fact, Pastor Ron Klein is leading a four-week study. You missed the first one, but you just got to show up. It's on Wednesdays at 10. And we're looking at God's mission work around the world. This last week, we looked at India and Nepal and that part of the world. And this week, you're looking at the Middle East. He's going to be looking at the Middle East. But, uh, I mean, God is doing a work in this world right now that doesn't make the news, but it's dramatic. People who are coming to Christ. We, I mean, we, had, we heard stories of God at work coming out of India, out of Nepal. Do you know they just made a law in that part of the world that you cannot talk to anybody about Jesus if they haven't already made a decision to follow Christ? It's against the law. You can go to jail for six years. But more people than ever are becoming followers of the Jesus way in that part of the world because Jesus is the only way to God. And we heard from our missionaries, Walter and Janine White. We heard similar stories coming out of the Philippines with Patrick Bailey. Patrick and Sherry are our missionaries in Bailey. I mean, just regular people who are going there empowering to go share their story, their testimony of here's what Jesus did in my life. And they have found numerous people responding way above what's been expected in Muslim countries before. In fact, three people, they counted up just between three people in 18 months have uh, re, uh, converted 64 people to Jesus Christ. There are missionaries in that part of the world that have served for 30 years and haven't won a dozen people to Christ. And so it's clearly, it's a work of God. The story that we've been following about a guy we've called Paul in Nigeria, who was the one in northern Nigeria spearheading the effort to persecute and kill Christians, who suddenly went into a trance one night. His wives thought he was dead. They poured water on him. They thought he was dying. And he wakes up and he says, does anybody know how to follow Jesus Christ? And they look at him and said, we thought you were going to die. And he says, I'm not going to die. A guy in a bright white robe sat down here next to me and said, stop picking on my people. And you need to become one of my followers. And so I need to know, how do you follow Christ? And he became a follower of Jesus. And he talked. He was beat up and so badly he was in the hospital for several weeks. And eight of his closest henchmen who helped him in the murders of Christians became believers. All eight of those have since been put to death. Since Easter this year in Nigeria... And yet hundreds of other people have been coming to Christ, watching these people and how they have lived for Jesus, even in a short period of time. So we just see it over and over and over that Jesus is empowering his followers to reach others with the good news. And accepting the call to follow Jesus means that we follow Christ in his fulfilling his mission in this world, and we accept the cost of his rejection when it happens to us. Christian, Jesus is calling you. Answer the call because it's time to go all in, to follow Jesus without restraint. He's promised to forgive his followers and call them his own. And you don't have to be spectacular. I mean, think of Thaddeus. You go, who? He was one of those 12. And Jesus has promised that life will be hard, but that his Holy Spirit will guide us, even give us the right words to speak in the moment that he is speaking through us. And he's also preparing an eternal home for those who love him and have lived their lives for him. So Jesus was maligned. He was rejected. He suffered, and his followers will too. But the reward is worth the cost. The reward is a relationship with Jesus Christ that starts now and lasts forever. It'll outlast any ridicule or persecution or rejection. 
it lasts forever. In fact, when the disciples returned, well, I'll save that for next week, what Jesus said, okay? <laughs> Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you how you gather people and you are so gracious and you forgive our sin and you love us and you pick us up every time that we fall. And thank you that you give us the opportunity to be your disciples, your followers, the laborers in your harvest field, that you look at this world and say, it's ripe. There are people who are so frustrated with life as it is because they know it's broken and it's not working and they need a savior and you are that savior and we are the little link to get the good news to the people who need to hear it. So give us courage, give us strength, give us insight, help us to see the opportunities and then to seize the moment and to be your workers in your field. Thank you that you would use us and call us your partners. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.